Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Black and Cold, a true crime podcast. I am Michelle, your host, and I am back this week with two very curious, interesting cases for you guys. But before I get into this episode, I just want to give my listeners a quick heads up that I will be taking a little break for a few weeks. So Black and Cold is going to be on a small hiatus. I plan to return in the beginning of the new year with some more stories for you all, but again, just wanted to let you guys know. In the meantime, feel free to catch up on any of the past episodes that you may have missed, and as always, if you have any case suggestions for the future, please send them my way, and you can find the link to do that in the description of this episode. The cases I will be discussing today are not connected in any way, and they both come out of the state of Florida. Now, there is not much information out there on either one of them, but nonetheless, they still deserve the attention. These are both missing persons cases. Both young ladies are listed as endangered missing. And as I've said in the past, you just never know who may be listening. So I share these stories with the hopes that one day the families can get some answers. For the first half of this episode, I will be telling you guys about the disappearance of Jasmine Robinson. Sometime during the day on Monday, February 18th, 2019, 23-year-old Jasmine Nikisha Robinson was picked up from work by her grandmother, Rosa. Rosa recalls dropping her granddaughter off at home in the neighborhood of Archer, where she left her there. Now, Archer is a small city in Alachua County in north-central Florida, which Jasmine lived there her whole entire life. And at this time, Jasmine was actually between six and seven months pregnant, and she was looking forward to giving birth to a baby girl that she planned to name Jamila. On this particular day, however, when Jasmine was picked up, she did not seem like her usual self and appeared to be upset. According to her grandmother, she told CBS4 that Jasmine was acting in a rage as if someone threatened her. Yet still, she went home where she was last seen by her loved ones. Jasmine told her aunt she was heading to bed at around 8 o'clock p.m. that night. And sometime during that night of the 18th or the morning of the 19th, as we do not know for sure, Jasmine disappeared. Because when her family woke up later on the next day, she was nowhere to be found. Now, many of the sources out there say some different things, so it was kind of hard for me to confirm this. But Jasmine was either reported missing on that same day, which was Tuesday the 19th, or it was either on Wednesday the 20th. I really tried to find exactly what day it was, but there's conflicting dates in different sources. But either way, her family reported her missing with the Alachua County Sheriff's Office as she continued to remain unreachable. They quickly began to worry about her, and being that she was pregnant just months away from her due date, they were worried even more. According to Jasmine's loved ones, it was so unlike her to just not be in contact with anyone. 
So a couple of Jasmine's family members spoke in interviews about their last communication with her. Her older sister, Shantavia, who was visiting a nursing home at the time, says she spoke with Jasmine on a video call the morning of the 18th. Shantavia told the Gainesville son that her sister was upset on the call, which was consistent with what her grandmother said later on that day. Jasmine told Shantavia that the father of her unborn baby had been contacting her constantly. It started out as messages, then he began to call her workplace. Shantavia says the communication from him began shortly before her younger sister disappeared. And from what she's expressed, it appears that this guy was not happy that Jasmine was having this baby. And Shantavia fears that because he was angry about her pregnancy, it makes him look suspicious in her eyes. Jasmine also never reached back out to a cousin whom she frequently spoke to. And this is when others began to feel like, yeah, something is not right here. When the investigation initially began into Jasmine's disappearance, the Alachua County Sheriff's Office couldn't really confirm that there was any criminal activity involved. Now, we see a lot of women expecting, especially that far in their pregnancy, be quickly classified as endangered missing. But that wasn't the case in the beginning of Jasmine's investigation. There were no signs of foul play at her residence, And days after she went missing, authorities just could not indicate if that was the proper classification for her. And this clearly did not sit well with Jasmine's family because even though it was early on, they knew deep down in their hearts that she wouldn't just leave for this amount of time and not talk to anyone about it. Jasmine did not have access to a car and nothing in her home seemed to be missing like she packed anything. And her family was just concerned for her. They were concerned for her well-being in general. They did not know if she was eating properly. And I mean, rightfully so. She was between six and seven months pregnant. As days began to turn into weeks, Jasmine's whereabouts remained a mystery. She missed work, which she was always on time for. And she missed doctor's appointments during this time, among other indications found by her loved ones and law enforcement that she did not have intentions on leaving. Prior to her disappearance, Jasmine was arrested for mobile theft as well as credit card fraud. And she had an upcoming court date that she needed to show up for. Her aunt Bertha, who was like another older sister to her, says Jasmine previously admitted to her mistakes and she was on the right track. And although her family doesn't feel that her charge has anything to do with her disappearance, this court date was something major that Jasmine needed to attend. Three weeks after she went missing, this is when things began to change in the investigation. Authorities now considered Jasmine as endangered and missing. Officers announced that it appeared she left her home with someone and they quickly turned to the public for assistance. And at this moment in time, many of the details in regards to this investigation remained unreleased. So I can't even say how the police have been able to find this information out, but they did. However, even with that, no solid developments have been made known since that announcement, and the case took a standstill. It wasn't until two months after the 23-year-old was last seen and an $8,000 reward was put up for information in regards to Jasmine's disappearance. It was the first time ever in a missing person's case 
that the Alachua County Sheriff's Office was able to offer a reward. And they were hoping with this reward money that someone would come forward with some information because Jasmine left her residence with someone. Authorities figured somebody out there knows who that person is and where they might have been going. As two months turned into three, Jasmine would have been due sometime around this time frame, making her family more curious on her whereabouts and her safety, as well as the babies. Although the investigation appeared to be stagnant for a while, in May of 2019, detectives actually discovered a new area of interest in Alachua County where they began to look for Jasmine. They put up additional flyers as well as signboards around this particular location with the hopes that someone may have saw her or saw something that could help the investigation. Jasmine's family was very grateful for the signboards that were used. They figured the more exposure, the better. But even with the signboards and the additional local exposure, this case continues to remain unsolved. And in October of 2019, eight months after she was last seen, Jasmine's disappearance information was entered into the National Missing and Unidentified Person System, also known as NamUs. In February 2021, officially two years after she went missing, the original $8,000 reward was increased to $10,000 for anyone with information on Jasmine's disappearance. The Alachua County Sheriff's Office publicly shared videos of Jasmine's family asking the public for help in regards to her case. In a video that the ASO posted, Detective Wietzel, one of the officers on this case, has pointed out that they do have persons of interest. ASO's office spokesman also told the Gainesville Sun that detectives have obtained multiple warrants and conducted searches throughout Alachua County and nearby counties to find Jasmine and her baby. But to avoid compromising this investigation, many details still have remained tight-knit. Sadly, information on Jasmine's case seems to stop there and no other developments or movements have been made from what I found. Her case has not received much media attention, which is so messed up, and it's a continuous problem that we see in many cases involving people of color. But her loved ones continue to search for her. One thing we do know is that no one on this earth can just vanish. Someone had to see or hear something in regards to Jasmine's disappearance. Jasmine also goes by the nickname Jazz or Beezy, and she is described as being about five foot two, weighing between 150 to 170 pounds. At the time of her disappearance, she wore glasses and had dreads. She would be 25 years old today. Being that she was only months away from giving birth, which her daughter would be two years old today, it just makes her case way more suspicious. Jasmine's family describes her as being extremely loving, funny, and they just want her and baby Jamila home. It has been over two years since they've last seen her, and every day that goes by is a mystery for them. If you have any information on the disappearance of Jasmine Nikisha Robinson, you can contact the Alachua County Crime Stoppers at 352 372 stop 
What's up, New York City? Bring your special day to life with the help of the ladies over at Le Deux Event Design. Le Deux, which means both in French, was founded by two amazing ladies who are here to assist you with anything from upscale floral decor all the way to helping you plan your whole entire event. You can find their work on their Instagram at L-E-S-D-E-U-X-D. Reach out to the ladies today. The next half of this episode comes out of South Florida when the family of a young teenager woke up the next morning only to find her gone, very similar to Jasmine's case. Sophie Reeder was just 15 years old in 2017 where she was living with her father in the Citrus Isle neighborhood of Fort Lauderdale. Her mom, Nicole, and dad, Patrick, split up when she was a little younger, but she continued to maintain a good relationship with both of her parents. Investigation Discoveries in Pursuit series have been able to interview a few of Sophie's loved ones. Her grandfather says she changed schools quite a bit as her grades began to drop, and this ultimately resulted in Sophie taking classes online. As she transitioned into her teenage years, many of Sophie's behaviors began to change as well. She became a little more rebellious and had a tendency to isolate herself in her room for periods of time which I feel, you know, can be typical behavior for so many teenagers. Sophie is described by her loved ones as being sweet, kind of timid, introverted usually, but when around people she knew, she had a very outgoing personality. She also loves many different genres of music, antique dolls, and has a liking for unique paintings. On May 14th, 2017, which was Mother's Day, Sophie spent the day with her mom, Nicole. They went out to eat and did some shopping together at the mall. And after having a day well spent, Nicole dropped her daughter back home with her dad. They texted one another for days after, discussing plans for another meetup in the future. But those texts abruptly stopped. And that Mother's Day was the last time Nicole physically saw her daughter. Just a few days later, on the evening of May 19th, Sophie made dinner for her family at home. Her father recalls the two of them being up at around 11.30 p.m. that night, but Sophie appeared to be a little anxious, like she was kind of just pacing back and forth throughout the house. And at the time, her father didn't think anything of it. He expressed that he felt she was just in her teenage ways, but looking back on it now, Something more than meets the eye may have been making Sophie anxious in that moment. So eventually, Patrick told Sophie it was time to go to bed, and that's when she decided to head to her room for the night. But by the next morning, when Patrick woke up, he was alarmed when he realized his daughter was not there. Sophie was not in her room, but what was left behind was her laptop, a cell phone, and a candle that was still lit. Her dad also noticed that the calendar in her room had the date of May 19th X'd out, which was the day before, also the last time he saw Sophie. Still not in extreme panic just yet, Patrick figured Sophie would return soon because she liked to go on walks alone, like this wasn't uncommon. He also thought Sophie may have went out to a friend's or ended up at her mom's house, only because that's something she has done in the past as well. With access to both of her parents' home, 
Sometimes Sophie split her time between the two residences without warning everyone on occasion. However, after a couple of days of calling family and getting in contact with other people, this is when Patrick realized this was not the situation this time. Sophie was not with anyone, nor did anyone see her, which prompted him to call the police. On May 22nd, Patrick filed a missing persons report for his daughter, and very quickly, authorities were under the impression that Sophie might be a runaway. But as investigators began to search her room, their initial assumptions started to change. Law enforcement made a discovery of $300 in cash stashed away in Sophie's room. They also found some very questionable computer activity as they went through her laptop. It was learned that the 15-year-old was dabbling in a very dark world online. Investigators found dating apps and social media profiles Sophie created on sites where she made herself out to look older and she was speaking with older men, searching for what appeared to be a sugar daddy. Now authorities felt Sophie could have went out that evening to meet up with someone and possibly have met with a predator given this online activity. And as they investigated more within her personal life, they learned that this may actually be the case. Years leading up to her disappearance, Nicole expressed that she noticed her daughter was acting more grown up than usual and she seemed to be more angry and rebellious as I mentioned. And after she noticed these changes, Nicole decided to search Sophie's room when she was just 14 years old, so ideally only a year before she vanished. Nicole discovered several alarming items that someone Sophie's age had no business on having at all. She found fishnet stockings, garter belts, and alcohol, just to name a few, all under her teenage daughter's bed. In her interview she did with IDs in Pursuit, Nicole says she asked Sophie, like, why'd she have this stuff and where'd she get it from? But up until this day, she has never gotten a straight answer. Although she has never been diagnosed, Sophie's family feels she may have been suffering from anxiety and depression at the time she went missing. Now, her parents knew her room was like her safe space, and they were aware that she loved being on her laptop, which she used for chat rooms with friends and studying. But they had no idea that Sophie was interacting with these older men. Being that she was attending school virtually, this meant she spent more time on her computer than usual. And because of that, on top of the mental health concerns, her family and authorities felt it made her more susceptible as prey for these strangers online. Within days of the search for Sophie, authorities recovered video surveillance of her, which was later on released. On video, Sophie can be seen walking throughout the neighborhood at around 1 o'clock a.m. the morning of May 20th. She has on a black outfit, a faux fur jacket, sneakers, and her hair is in these two buns, or space buns as many people call it. She also had on a pair of large white headphones. And her demeanor in the video appears to be fine, like she doesn't seem to be in distress. She's kind of just walking around without a care. It was also discovered that Sophie had two cell phones at the time she went missing. So there was the one phone that her father and authorities found on her bedside table, but she also had a cell phone with her, which investigators were able to track. They were able to determine that Sophie left her home on foot, 
at 12.45 a.m. the morning of the 20th. Her phone put her walking in the vicinity of Davie Boulevard in Fort Lauderdale near the Broward Health Medical Center. Her phone then pinged near a home on Southwest 11th Court in the area of Stranahan High School where she once attended. And while in that location, investigators say she made a call at 3.07 a.m. Now, her location remained there at that same place until around 9 o'clock a.m. And that's when Sophie's whereabouts become untraceable. So her phone was either put on airplane mode, it died, or it was cut off at this time. So going back to the cell phone that was found and left behind in Sophie's room, that probably wasn't the main one she used to speak with family and friends because she only had 12 contacts in there. But one of the contacts in that phone came back to a local known felon who lived on Southwest 11th Court. Detective St. John, one of the lead officers on this case, also found a diary in Sophie's room. And inside this diary, she and her team found signs that Sophie may have been going through depression, which supported what her family believed. But also in the diary, they found a phone number. Matter of fact, it was the same number that was in the phone found in Sophie's room. And just to reiterate, it was the number of a person who lived at a home on Southwest 11th Court, the last location where Sophie's phone pinged before her whereabouts were untraceable. And this raised many questions for investigators because now it showed that Sophie knew exactly who she was meeting up with that morning. And this individual did not have the best record or reputation with law enforcement. Also, him, along with the others who are said to live in that home, are all men well over their 30s. So you ask yourself, why are they, or at least one of them, in contact with the 15-year-old girl? And why was she going to meet up with him or them in the wee hours of the morning? And to make matters even more alarming, as authorities did more digging from this information, they found that the individual from this home who Sophie was in contact with made a call to a known sex trafficker around 5 o'clock a.m., hours before Sophie's phone was off and untraceable. So now the police were fearful that Sophie may have been a victim of human trafficking. They paid the home on Southwest 11th Court a visit, but that didn't help as the occupants there refused to speak with them. But on July 12th, two months after Sophie was last seen, authorities were able to use phone records to obtain a warrant and search this residence in question. I mean, because it was clear that Sophie was in contact with one of them from there. They dusted for fingerprints, seized computers, multiple hard drives, and recovered about 25 cell phones, according to detectives. Local 10 also reported that headphones were found in the residence, which the PI that Nicole hired suggests belonged to Sophie. Although all of these questionable findings were there, nothing else in the residence led them to the missing teenager. Nothing was found to move the case forward. No arrests were made, and the residents of the home denied knowing Sophie altogether. Since then, this case hasn't had any publicly known leads, 
And Sophie's loved ones are continuing their search to find her every single day. As mentioned, her mom, Nicole, hired a private investigator to even look into her daughter's case with the hopes that she can be found soon and safely. Friends of Sophie's have confirmed with detectives that she was seeking money and looking for love all in the wrong places. In a case like this, it is very easy for people to judge and not look at Sophie as the victim. But at the end of the day, she is. At only 15 years old at the time, she was still a child who was just vulnerable, which sadly, people can take advantage of, especially sex traffickers. According to the National Human Trafficking Hotline, in 2019, over 11,000 cases of human trafficking have been reported. And Florida is the third highest state for this behind Texas and California, following my hometown state of New York. Sophie may have walked out of her home the morning of May 20th, but there are some signs that indicate she probably had plans on coming back. From her laptop she left behind to the money found in her room, all the way down to that candle that was still burning on her dresser. So she may have left voluntarily, but the fact is that she never returned. Her mother, Nicole, told WVSN News 7, quote, She picked the wrong crowd to hang out with, and I totally believe social media and being on the computer and talking to the wrong people led to her disappearance. End quote. From their findings within this investigation, authorities feel Sophie may have been a victim of human trafficking, held against her will, or she may have met with foul play and people are covering it up. In 2020, the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children created an age progression photo of what Sophie may look like at 18 years old. I will put that photo on our Instagram as she would be 19 today. Sophie's loved ones have continued their searches for her and are hoping to find answers on what happened to her that morning in May of 2017. Now it's been five years that have passed and they still haven't gotten any solid answers on Sophie's whereabouts and the days that go by does not get any easier. At the time of her disappearance, Sophie is described as being 5'1", weighing about 100 to 120 pounds. She has long brown curly hair and brown eyes. Photos of her can be found online if you click any of the sources I use in my show notes, and I will also post to our Instagram. Anyone with information on the disappearance of Sophie Reader is encouraged to contact the Fort Lauderdale Police at 954 954- Thank you everyone for tuning in to this episode. Continue to subscribe, rate, and review the show on whatever platforms you guys are listening from. If you aren't doing so already, follow us on Instagram at black underscore cold underscore podcast. And I just want to give a huge shout out to my dedicated listeners who have been rocking out with me this past year and have enjoyed Black and Cold. I hope everyone has a safe and a healthy holiday and I will see you guys next year.